Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Not A Fib podcast. My name is Mark Flaughter. I will be your host for this podcast. And hopefully this will be the last podcast where I am without a guest. My goal for this podcast is to have guests to talk about different issues that affect EMS today and moving forward, whether it's treatments, whether it's profession, whether it's career, whether it's legislative, governmental, uh, hopefully we can address issues that are affecting us today. A little bit about myself. As I mentioned, my name is Mark Flaughter. I am the Deputy Chief of EMS for the Florissant Valley Fire Protection District. We are a fire protection district in North St. Louis County, Missouri. We are approximately 15 to 20 minutes northwest of downtown St. Louis. For a point of reference, uh, we have an interstate highway that separates our fire district from the city of Ferguson, if that helps identify where we are located. Our fire district covers approximately 22 square miles with a population of approximately 75,000 residents. For calendar year 2022, we ran our district ran a total of over 15,000 calls, both fire and EMS. Uh, approximately 12,000 of those were EMS calls. So we do keep pretty busy. We have three engine houses. Our house one has two ambulances and a ladder truck. Our other two houses have pumpers and an ambulance at each house. So we have a total of four ambulances that run 24 hours a day and three fire apparatus, one ladder and two pumper trucks. So we have 70 uniformed personnel, two administrative personnel, and three directors who comprise our board. We are our own political subdivision, so we are governed by a board of directors. So. That's a little bit about our fire district. A little bit about me. As I mentioned, I am with the Florissant Valley Fire Protection District. I have been with the fire district since 2000. Uh, in 2000, the district put up its own ambulance service to provide transport to its residents. And I was hired as a paramedic to staff those ambulances. I went through the St. Louis County Fire Academy and was certified as a firefighter and served as a firefighter paramedic here at the fire district until my promotion in 2006. And I have been deputy chief of EMS here at the fire district since 2006. Uh, prior to coming to the Florissant Valley Fire Protection District, I worked for a hospital-based EMS service uh, in St. Louis County uh, from 1997 until uh, I left at the end of 1999. And Prior to that, I worked for a private EMS service, started my EMS career, uh, paid EMS career there in 1995, left full-time uh, to join the hospital-based uh, EMS service uh, in 1997, but I stayed with that private EMS company part-time until my promotion in 2006. So I did a total of 11 years with the private EMS uh, agency. I did, uh, prior to becoming part of the St. Louis Fire Department, St. Louis had its own separate EMS service, 
Uh, I did do volunteer ride-alongs uh, with them. Uh, that was my first introduction to EMS uh, after getting my EMT license at the end of 1993. And prior to getting into EMS, I served in the United States Navy. I was stationed in San Diego, California at Naval Air Station, North Island. I was in an anti-submarine squadron and we were part of Carrier Air Wing 2. And I did two Western Pacific deployments on the USS Ranger, uh, one in support of Operation Desert Shield and the other in support of Operation Restore Hope off the coast of Somalia. I also did one around the Horn deployment with the USS Constellation. Uh, which had finished its service life extension program in Mayport, Florida, uh, and sailed down around the Horn of, or down around Cape Horn, South America, and up to its new home port at NAS North Island in San Diego. Uh, discharged from the Navy in 1993, uh, went right into EMT school within a month of uh, getting out of the Navy, and got my EMT license uh, at the end of 1993. Um, and then, as I mentioned, started uh, writing as third person uh, with St. Louis EMS uh, in 1994 before getting hired at the private EMS uh, company, private EMS service in 1995. Uh, my education, I have an associate's degree uh, in paramedic technology. I have a bachelor's degree in emergency medical services services administration, and I have a master's of public administration with an emphasis on emergency service management. So that is a little bit about me. And now the podcast, the not AFib podcast name came from my wife, Lori. She has to get all credit for the name because I wanted the name to be the IB Bangin podcast. And those of you that have seen the movie Bringing Out the Dead know the reference. However, she did bring up a valid point and state that if I called it the IB Bangin' Podcast, I would probably have a large audience until about five or ten seconds into the podcast when they realized that the podcast was not what they thought it was going to be. So, as a result, the Not AFib Podcast was born. And I hope that this podcast provides you some truth uh, regarding what is happening in EMS today. So what is happening in EMS today? Well, there are a lot of issues that are facing those of us who work in EMS, uh, just a few of which. Um, and I'm going to go through uh, go through a pretty extensive list, touch a little bit about each one. Uh, and hopefully in the future, we will have guests to address these different issues. Uh, the first is uh, retention of quality personnel, pay and benefits. I think those two go hand in hand. Uh, I, I think uh, there are certain areas of the country uh, where the pay and benefits are, are better than average. Uh, I would I venture to say uh, they are very good, uh, but there are other areas of the country um, and other areas of my own state, my own county, uh, where the pay and benefits uh, are not um, sufficient to uh, provide for a family and for some providers to take on second jobs. So um, that's something that uh, we can discuss moving forward. Uh, retention of quality personnel, uh, 
obviously paying benefits plays a, a part in that. Uh, but there's also another component uh, of retaining quality personnel, uh, and that's leadership. Um, a lot of people leave not only EMS, but they leave companies, they leave corporations uh, due to poor leadership, bad management. Um, some of the issues, some of the leadership red flags that have been identified uh, by EMS providers uh, are um, the leaders don't understand EMS. Uh, they have zero trust in the field providers and uh, they uh, micromanage the providers. Uh, they're not engaged. Uh, there's a lack of communication. Uh, they have bad attitudes. So those are just a few of the leadership red flags that, uh, that are present um, when we talk about bad leadership. Um, another issue, uh, career development, uh, advancement, uh, and education. Um, outside of the fire service uh, and some uh, third-party services, uh, there is not a whole lot of career advancement. There's not a, a clear path uh, for career advancement uh, in EMS. Um, many managers, many leaders uh, don't invest in their people. So uh, there's no career development. Uh, there's not a lot of mentorship. They don't take uh, people under their wing uh, and help bring them up to uh, to a, a, a level where they can have those providers step into a leadership or management role uh, when that individual manager or leader has to move on, retire, or ends up getting promoted. Uh, education uh, is a question as well. There are certain, uh, there's a certain population or a certain segment uh, within EMS who feels that uh, a degree uh, is required or should be required uh, to become a paramedic. Uh, there are some areas of the world where uh, that is the requirement. Uh, a bachelor's degree uh, is required uh, to be a paramedic. Uh, degree programs are, are not the only education question. Uh, continuing education is always a question. There's a there's there are abundant opportunities uh, for career for continuing education. Uh, but there's also other areas of education, and hopefully uh, I'm able to get uh, someone on to discuss about to discuss uh, opportunities at places like the National Fire Academy in Emmitsburg, Maryland, uh, who provide uh, EMS courses, um, and we can get details on that uh, in a future episode. Uh, recruitment of qualified applicants. Uh, recruitment continues to be an issue um, in all areas of the country. Um, in our particular fire district, uh, earlier this year, we had a, uh, a testing um, for uh, just for a hiring list. Um, in the past, we would test and we would get uh, in excess of 50 uh, to 60 applications. Uh, and then we would have to come in and do a written test uh, and then take just the top 20 to 30 scores uh, to move on to the EMS practical portion, which is our medical scenario, trauma scenario, uh, and mega code or cardiology station. Uh, there were there were days where we would test over 30 people through those practical stations. Um, this last testing, uh, we got in the low teens. I think we tested 15, took the written test, so everyone advanced to uh, the practical station. Um, we're not the only district uh, that's in that uh, boat in our area, and certainly not in in the country. Recruitment uh, continues to be a problem. Um, Qualified applicants uh, continues to be a problem. You, you can bring in bodies, but 
Are they going to be able, are they going to be quality people? Are they going to have the clinical skills and the critical decision-making abilities uh, to perform in the high pressure situations uh, in which paramedics and EMTs find themselves? Mental health uh, and stress management. Mental health is an ongoing issue, will be an ongoing issue, and is something that uh, is very prevalent uh, in, in not only EMS, but the fire service, law enforcement as well. EMS providers cannot be afraid to ask for help. We have to remove the stigma of someone being considered weak um, or uh, they don't have what it takes uh, if they uh, seek help for mental health issues. Um, earlier this year, I uh, completed the ambulance service manager course uh, offered by Fitch and Associates uh, and one of our group's uh, research project was on help saving our own, uh, discussing different ways that uh, we can provide as leaders and management, as leaders and managers, we can provide uh, assistance to uh, to our employees, to our providers, to our paramedics and EMTs, provide them resources to get the help that they need so that they can manage stress, so that they can deal with their mental uh, health issues. Um, I would like to get, uh, if I can't get that whole group on, at least a couple uh, from the group to discuss uh, their research, discuss their findings, uh, and discuss possible ways that we can offer help to uh, to our EMS providers. Um, other areas uh, of concern are uh, areas in rural America that are considered ambulance deserts, uh, where there's a lack of ambulance uh, service coverage. Uh, because of the fact that either rural EMS agencies are, are, are closing their doors, uh, not able to operate, uh, or they just can't get the staff to, to man the ambulances and they have to get coverage from other uh, neighboring jurisdictions, neighboring services that are going to extend the, the time it takes to get to the patient. Um, these delays in getting care to the patient can only result in more negative patient outcomes. Uh, but those ambulance deserts and those areas uh, in rural America where uh, agencies are closing uh, are, are a problem. I, I just read earlier this week about an agency, uh, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, that had to close their doors uh, due to not only uh, staffing issues, but financial issues as well. Um, so, so those are uh, areas uh, of concern. ET3 uh, was... Uh, rolled out uh, with uh, a great deal of fanfare a couple of years ago. Uh, felt that a lot of us felt that it was going to be very beneficial to EMS and possibly open doors to um, different, uh, different uh, reimbursement models, perhaps, uh, but definitely different uh, patient options uh, or cor correction, uh, transport or destination options. Uh, we could take patients to areas uh, not in the emergency department. Um, as was announced a couple months ago, uh, they are ending the ET3 program. Uh, so what does that mean for EMS? Where do we go from here? How does that affect us as far as seeking alternative destinations? Uh, in line with ET3, uh, state Medicaid reimbursement programs are now in the crosshairs of the Office of the Inspector General. Uh, the Pinnacle EMS Leadership Conference uh, last month uh, attended a legal update uh, where an attorney uh, from the St. Louis area spoke about the uh, 
potential investigation uh, of these uh, Medicaid reimbursement programs. We have one of those in Missouri, uh, and uh, the potential for investigation is very real. And uh, agencies that do participate in these programs could be investigated. Um, I will hope to I hope to have him on in, in a very near future episode uh, to discuss that potential uh, for those investigations and, and what that means for these programs moving forward. Something else uh, that was also discussed uh, at the uh, Pinnacle EMS Le Leadership Conference and that my group with the Ambulance Service Manager course uh, uh, did research was on technology in EMS, uh, specifically body cameras. Uh, there are uh, agencies that do utilize body cameras for their EMS personnel. Um, one of the several of the issues that we encountered were not necessarily the hardware portion. Uh, the, the cameras and hardware themselves uh, are reasonably priced uh, based on our research, uh, but it's the data storage. How long do you need to store that video and how much is it going to cost to store it? How big the servers do you need and what type of storage capacity do, do you need to have and how much is that storage capacity going to cost? Uh, something else with uh, body cameras, uh, and this kind of ties into another issue that I'll discuss in a few minutes, is uh, a representative in the state of Illinois, uh, shortly after uh, a video surfaced uh, just outside of Springfield uh, of two EMS providers improperly restraining a patient, which ultimately, the patient ultimately died, uh, this particular state representative uh, introduced legislation making EMS body-worn cameras mandatory throughout Illinois. Uh, I don't know at the time of this recording where that uh, particular legislation stands, uh, but if that were to become law, how would that affect EMS in Illinois particularly and the different agencies? Um, we talked earlier about retention of quality personnel. If you work for an agency and all of a sudden that agency is required by law for their personnel to wear body-worn cameras, is that going to affect your decision to stay in EMS if you have to wear a body-worn camera? For those of us that got into EMS to help people um, and those of us that feel that we're doing it the right way, quote-unquote, that should not be an issue. But at the end of the day, it is an issue. So how does that affect uh, retention of personnel? How does that affect your ability to attract quality personnel? So these issues all kind of tie together uh, in certain ways. Uh, also along the lines of technology uh, is telemedicine. Um, there, uh, telemedicine has been used in certain areas of the country uh, with some success. Uh, other areas of the country have considered using telemedicine, but haven't really pulled the trigger on it yet. Um, so there is the potential uh, for telemedicine to really be a benefit to EMS as far as routing patients to the correct destination, uh, if they even need to be transported at all. And that has a, a, a potential, as I mentioned, uh, to be good for EMS, but at the end of the day, uh, it, it's gonna cost money. Uh, it's cost money for the equipment, cost money uh, for um, to provide people on the other end of the line uh, to consult with telemedicine. So uh, I believe less than 10% uh, according to the EMS trend report, or have some sort of telemedicine in place. Um, so that's not a very big number when you consider all the EMS across the United States. 
So is that something uh, that's in our future? Uh, violence against EMS providers uh, continues to be uh, in the headlines. Uh, I recently read uh, about uh, attempted stabbing uh, of EMS providers, I believe it was somewhere on the East Coast. Um, is this something that we can prevent? Uh, can we in EMS do something to reduce the chances of our providers being assaulted uh, while they're performing their job? Or is this something now that we just have to accept uh, as part of our job, uh, like law enforcement? Um, when I got into EMS, uh, violence against providers was a very random event and, and hardly ever happened and was a significant issue uh, when it did. Now it seems almost weekly we're reading stories uh, of providers getting assaulted. Uh, does this is this an issue, um, a mental health issue um, with patients? Are because the mental health services are not adequate and they're relying on nine one one, and then uh, having issues that cause them to assault providers. Um, so there there are a lot of questions regarding violence against EMS providers and what we can do to curb the instances of violence against EMS providers. Uh, I mentioned it a few moments ago uh, regarding that issue in Springfield. Uh, that resulted in those EMS providers being criminally charged for that patient's death. Uh, many of us know of the in uh, incident in Colorado uh, a couple, three years ago uh, regarding the improper dosage of ketamine and those providers ultimately getting charged. Um, this is something that we're seeing more and more uh, in the news are EMS providers either being charged, uh, criminally charged, uh, or uh, lawsuits uh, brought against EMS providers uh, personally uh, for uh, negligence, uh, improper care, uh, medication errors. Uh, so uh, th these are issues. Uh, are they leadership issues? Uh, are they management issues? Or are they just individual issues? Um but the fact remains that there are still providers that are being criminally charged uh, and sued because of inc incidents uh, on EMS calls. Uh, blood and blood products. Uh, blood products uh, are being used in certain areas of the country, and they're being used uh, with, with some degree of success. Uh, but it does not come without its questions uh, and concerns. Uh, for instance, uh, blood products need to be stored uh, in a certain, in a specific way. And uh, how much does it cost to purchase the equipment to properly store the blood products um, or blood it, itself? Um, if you do choose to go with a, a whole blood program, uh, is your service going to be using the blood with a frequency uh, to warrant the, the financial outlay uh, to start this program? Uh, or is this a situation where you may have blood that, that sits around and gets uh, close to its expiration and has to be uh, moved somewhere so that it can be used so it does not go bad? Um, so that is a, a, uh, it, it's a, it's a great program uh, where it's being used and where it's having success, uh, but it does have its questions. Uh, finally, uh, we talked a little bit about legislative issues, governmental issues. Um, one of the big things uh, that came about uh, just very recently is uh, the U.S. Fire Administration. Um, Dr. Uh, Lori Moore Merrill uh, made an announcement proposing uh, that the United States Fire Administration take a more active role 
uh, in EMS and uh, also proposed uh, renaming the United States Fire Administration, uh, the U.S. and Fire Administration uh, to emphasize their um, dedication to uh, EMS in the fire service. And uh, this this announcement was made um, back in June uh, at the uh, Gathering of Eagles Conference uh, down in Florida, uh, where Dr. Moore made this announcement um, that uh, she plans to rename the U.S. Fire Administration, the U.S. Fire and EMS Administration. Um, so that can be a pretty big deal for those of us in EMS uh, if we move out from under the umbrella of the Department of Transportation and move under the United States Fire Administration. Uh, some people might look at that as a good thing. Some of them might not. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. So those are just a few items that are uh, happening in EMS today uh, that are on radar, uh, that are being discussed, Being uh, articles are being written about them. So those are some things that we're going to discuss moving forward. As we do move forward and look forward to our next month's episode, uh, I do want to say that I uh, plan to have Dr. Brian Bledsoe uh, on the podcast next month. Uh, Dr. Bledsoe co-authored an article uh, earlier this month in GEMS uh, regarding traumatic cardiac arrest and rethinking the way that we treat traumatic cardiac arrest. Uh, it's not the same as uh, cardiac arrest due to medical uh, etiology, uh, so it does not need, it should not be treated the same way. Um, so we'll talk to Brock, Dr. Bledsoe uh, about uh, the impetus for that article, what that means for us in EMS moving forward uh, as far as uh, traumatic cardiac arrest and, and trauma in general. So uh, look forward to having him on the, uh, the podcast next month to discuss, uh, discuss traumatic cardiac arrest. As we wrap up, I want to make sure that we leave you with uh, ways to get in, get in touch with us. Um, we will have social media presence. Uh, right now, uh, we have an Instagram page, uh, and that Instagram handle is at not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast. Once again, that's not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast. So that's our Instagram handle. Our email address is going to be not dot a dot fib dot podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's not dot a dot fib dot podcast at gmail.com. So those are the two ways for you to get a hold of us right now. Um, What's on your mind about EMS? What bothers you? What do we need to discuss about EMS? What, what is bothering you? What is on your mind? Uh, what are some things that you see in EMS uh, that need to be addressed, uh, that need uh, to be discussed? Um, we want to hear from you. Uh, so let us know what, uh, what you think about EMS. Well, it is today is August 31st, 2023. I want to thank you for your attention, and I look forward to talking to you next month.